and he showed himself to him in a hurricane. And then he says to Elijah, in other words, Elijah, choose. And the hurricane went by and God wasn't in it. Then he showed himself to him in a storm and the storm went by and, and, and God wasn't in it. But then a very soft breeze went by. I like it in Spanish. Un silbo apacible. God was in it. Isn't it interesting? There are times we can rejoice and tear this place apart. We can clap and sing and just uh, wiggle and woggle. And we get blessed. But there are other times that are still and steady. Where God goes so deep into our being. Because he's got a lot of things to say to us. And in the book of Mark, and in the 10th chapter, in the 21st verse, Mark 10, 21. Praise the Lord. This happens just before the triumphal entry. And it has to do with an interview that Jesus had. I find this interview so tender. I find this interview so beautiful. I find this interview so caring. And Mark ten seventeen says, And as Jesus started on his way, a young man ran up to him. He fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus answered, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your mother and your father. And this boy shouts out, and he says, Teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. I want you to understand this conversation. It's clear, it's open, it's exact, it's precise. And then Jesus looked at him, and then the Bible says the most beautiful thing in the world, and he loved him. Oh, that, 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 that. That falls so perfect right there. He looked at him and he loved him. And then he says the following, one thing you lack, dear, just one, one thing you lack. Now that doesn't sound like, like a difficult situation. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And one thing you lacked, he said, go sell. Now here's what he lacks. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. Can I give you a, 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 a supposition? Can I give you a, a make-believe? Suppose you had $10 million dollars. And Jesus comes along, and you would like to inherit eternal life. And then Jesus says, well, all right, you've got to go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. 
In other words, let's make a transfer of your finances. Okay? Instead of banking on earth, you're going to bank in heaven now. Give it, give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. You won't lose it. It's there. Okay? Now you've got to understand this. This, this is quite a conversation. It's quite a conversation. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth, great wealth. He had great wealth, all right? And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He was speaking to his disciples. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the eye of a needle is not a sewing needle. It's the very small gates of Jerusalem that were only open for midnight travelers. And usually just for people. To squeeze a camel through was like the impossible. They did it. They did it. But it was impossible, hardly. So what they do is tie their animals outside and the people would go in after the hour. But Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, well, man, this is impossible, but not for God. All things are possible with God. Now Peter is getting angry, okay? Peter is getting angry, and this is what he says. We've left everything to follow you. I love that. To tell the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left a home or a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age of homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them, persecution. Okay, because a Christian is never free from persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. It's not a tricky piece of scripture. And it does not mean that God doesn't want anybody to have money. And it doesn't mean that Jesus says, go to the bank, take out all your money, give it to the church. That's not the interpretation of this scripture. The interpretation of this scripture is that God is meeting head on with someone that's hungry for God. I would have to say hungry for a religious experience. Now, that's different, okay? And that's why this young man comes to Jesus, and in the conversation you find out he is religious. He has kept all the commandments. Let's follow this, because it's interesting. And, and, and the interesting part about it is that he says, Teacher, I've kept this since I was a boy. Now, what, what does it tell me about this boy? First of all, Jesus says one thing to him. You lack one thing. Just one thing. In other words, you can inherit eternal life right now. We're just dealing with one thing. 
You've got one roadblock, and we've got to get it away. Just one thing. I'm going to answer this very quickly, but I will detail it for you. And the quick part is this. Jesus is simply saying, to know God means full surrender. To really know God means full surrender. And when I say full surrender, it's also that full surrender that has to do with process. In other words, sometimes we don't give it all up, all at once, but slow but surely, as we go growing in Him, as we know His value in our life, as we start to realize that when we deal with a trade-off with God, we're never going to lose. You can't give him more than he's going to give you back. You can't. That's why he says, you, you think that following me and serving me, you're going to lose your house, your home, your children. Your, no, listen, whoever follows me on earth is going to get that a hundredfold. What is he saying? You don't lose with me. And folks, I want to I extend that today. With Jesus, there are no losers. We don't lose with Jesus. We can only gain. Now, what, what, but what, what's happening here? To know God is in full surrender, but that full surrender has to be with no strings attached. And this is what I mean. Not even the religious strings. This boy was religious. In other words, if the community put a label on this young man, the community would say, he's a model child. He's a model young man. He is perfect. There's nothing wrong with him. Now, religion is man-made. Always remember that, folks. Protestantism, man-made. Catholicism, man-made. Any of the isms in the world today, they're man-made. In other words, it's as people claim they receive re revelations and visions and they moved on and, and they, what can I say, uh, there, there was just a cleavage and cleavage and cleavage and cleavage until the day of today. And, and we're still splitting. And we're still splitting. Now, religion is man-made and it produced by man's interpretation of what he thinks God wants. Now, because of our sinful nature... Religion always produces something to satisfy our religious nature. Now, what is our religious nature? What is it in us that has to be satisfied? Number one, our guilt. Humankind, mankind, is always guilty. We're guilty. We're guilty. We're guilty of sin. We're guilty of trespassing. We're guilty of a million nonsenses. We're guilty of doing so many things. So religion says, well, since man carries so much guilt, we've got to help him. And so religion brings on penance. That's all. You do this and we'll take away that. You come here and that'll take care of something else. You sing in this choir, and that'll handle another one of your problems. Uh, and you, are you seeing it? You understand? It, it's a matter of handling your guilt. <gasps> oh, I just don't feel God's in here. I just feel so lonely. I feel so afraid. Well, oh, well, well listen, come to Women's Fellowship. We network. We're really a together crowd. 
And somehow you come and you realize, hey, wait a minute, these ladies are okay, they're sharp. They know what they're talking about. They've got business senses and they've got, oh, hey, wait a minute, this is a nice place. Oh, this is religion? This is church? Well, I'm going to belong. Takes care of a lot of the, a lot of the issues of religion, its severity, of religion, its penance, of the time of prayer and the time of worship and the time of, do you understand? Now listen to me carefully. There's another thing that our sinful nature has to handle, and so religion helps us to handle it, and that's our emotions. And that's why there are religions when at a certain part of the religious ceremony, there's a beating of the chest. And it's a religious act. And you do it religiously. Well, well, why do you do it? Well, you remember Christ on the cross. You remember Calvary. You remember the nails in his hands and, and the crown of the... And you beat your chest. Emotion. Okay? Well, we don't do that anymore. But we sing. And we get so happy. Woo! We get real happy. We go round and round and we can... Woo! Sometimes we have Christian aerobics. And we do it so well. You understand? And, and somehow or other, the emotional fling we have here is, uh, it's okay. And we go, woo! And I go, woo! Religion is set up to fix up everything. That's why this little boy answers Jesus and he says, I've done that since I'm a boy. In other words, he thought it was a matter of, woo! He's in. Why? Because anything religious You've got to realize that the Jews set up the commandments and the fulfillment of the commandments in order, in, 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 in the form of their tradition. Uh, all they had to do was this or this or pay certain amounts uh, or do certain things and that fulfilled the commandment. Especially the one Jesus explained about honor your mother and your father. If you give the money to church and don't give anything to the old people, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. And that's exactly what they said. Now, the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says, honor your mother and your father till the day they die. Oh, but Sister Amy, my mother and my father are millionaires. I don't intend to give them anything. Well, the Bible says you should. Till the day you die, you should honor them in any way that you can. Don't give what's theirs to someone else. And Jesus made that so plain and so clear. Okay, now let's go on. What else has to be satisfied in man's mind, religious mind? His guilt, his emotions. Let's deal with the logic. Let's deal with the logic. This boy had arrived at a point where logically he felt great. Because when Jesus said, he says to the Lord, I have fully satisfied God. I've given him everything he wants. Ain't I lucky? What he's saying to Jesus is, I'm one of the better ones. And he was one of the better ones because he had money to do what poor people couldn't do. He was able to bring big sacrifices. He was able to give great donations. He was able to sustain the priesthood. He was able to do that. Now, you say to myself, Sister Amy, you've killed us all, Catholic, Protestants, and Jews. What, what, how, how do we come to life again? Let me share this. How do we know what God wants? How do we know what God wants? 
Is God Catholic and want the Catholic way? Is God Protestant and want the Protestant way? Is God Jewish and want the Jewish way? I mean, what is it God wants? Let me tell you what God wants. The scripture, the Holy Scripture, is its own interpreter. If you want an interpretation to scripture, if you want to know what God wants, go right to the Bible. The Bible is the book that interprets and gives us the perfect will of God. The perfect will of God. Scripture interprets itself. That's why when we as religious people start to interpret Bible for people, this is why I get so, I get so pushed out of shape and I, I have such a difficult time in my pastoring because not everyone is in the same place. Uh, there are people that need a lot more care. There are people that need a lot more attention. There are people that need a lot more tenderness. Uh, when it comes to humanity, there's nothing across the board. Across the board, you've got to love them. Across the board, you've got to care for them. But there's an individual. That's why when Jesus looks at this boy, it says that he looked at him and he loved him. He loved him because he was an example of somebody that had given his everything. His everything. Now Jesus gives, a, gives this boy the steps to eternal life. How to inherit it. And I like the word he uses. You see, anything he ever got, he inherited. He didn't work for it. He inherited it. So when he talks about eternal life, he says, how can I inherit it? Because I haven't gotten anything any other way. So it's got to be an inheritance. Is God going to give me the inheritance of eternal life? Now, I, I behave. I'm doing well. I've kept all his commandments. According to the Jewish religion, listen, I'm top notch. I'm okay. I passed the test. Now Jesus says to him, go sell everything. Give to the poor. And it's interesting because if you know about someone that gives to the poor, the book of Proverbs says, he that gives to the poor lends to God. And God's a good person to lend to because he always has a 100% return. That's what the scripture tells us. Uh, now he says, go sell everything. And then he says, and then you possess real treasure. What kind of treasure? Well, treasure in heaven. Eternal treasure. I like what Jesus says in Matthew about that. Where thieves can't go in and rob, where moth can't corrupt, where nothing can steal it, where it's there and it is for you. We don't understand this, folks, and we don't understand the dimensions. And, uh, and I'm not going to stand here and try to tell you I know something you don't know. But I happen to know that there is a life after this one. And there is a life in which it hinges on a lot of things down here. And you say to yourself, I don't fully understand what you mean. I don't understand it either. But in the, in, the, in the parables of the stewards, in the parable of the faithful ones, in the parable of the teachings of those that did what God wanted, God expressly says, and he says it through Jesus, in my Father's house there are many mansions. I go prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll return and bring you to myself so that where I am, you will also be. And Jesus also let us know that there's going to be a lot of accounting in heaven. You see, folks, that's why I run scared. Because one of these days, the books are going to open up there. And we've got to have a lot of things in order. And that is part of the spiritual process and that is part of this tremendous lesson. 
this is part of this tremendous lesson. This man wants to inherit eternal life. You don't inherit it. You don't inherit it. Eternal life is a gift from God. It comes from believing. It comes from trusting like a child. It comes from surrendering to him. That's the way it comes. It doesn't come any other way. Now in these steps, go sell. What does it mean? Sister, you said it doesn't mean that we have to give him all our money. No, it doesn't. But anything that stands between you and God, get rid of it. Get rid of it. You know, Jesus was so, was so adamant with this. He says, if your left eye is occasion to make you fall, he says, gouge it out. And you say, Sister Amy, he doesn't mean that, right? We're not going home to gouge out our eyes, are we? No, he doesn't mean that, but he does mean the lesson involved. He does mean the lesson involved. He says, if your right hand, the one you write with, the most important hand to you, if that's occasion to fall, cut it off. And then he goes on and he says, why? Because it's better to arrive in heaven minus one eye and minus one arm than to never arrive because the lust of the flesh and the lust of the earth and the corruption of this, it swallowed you up through those eyes. You say, well, Sister Amy, I, I don't fully understand. If you don't take it out, what do you do? Close your eyes? Yeah. But you close your eyes because you open your eyes to a greater vision. You close them to here, and there's a light. A sister was telling me today about a vision she had. And she kind of came, and we were kind of throwing it around. And I said, look, don't interpret it. But I do have the interpretation for you. She says that she was in, in the city like New York, right here. She says, but the darkness was so great. She says, and we were moving in darkness, and like everybody was dressed in black. And some had capes and some had hats and some had suits. But we were all groveling in this darkness. He says, yet if we looked up, there was golden strands that broke the darkness. And somebody said, God's up there. And all of a sudden it hits me now as I'm sharing with you the great truth. You see, while we're looking here, while we're focusing here, while our entire focus is on life, what does it have for me? What does it give to me? What is it? Oh, while that, while that is the focus. Now, folks, there are some legitimate needs. There are some legitimate situations. But when it comes to a moment of abandonment in God, it's being able to trust him to take care of your today, your tomorrow, and your forever. But in that abandonment, there's joy. In that abandonment, there is surrender. In that abandonment, there is no fear. And you move like you had it. You move like you own it. You move like you possess it. It's not, it's not a trembling little. No, why? You gouge out your eyes in terms of, I'm not going to look this way. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to let earth tear me apart. I've got to look above. And then Jesus told him, I want you to possess real treasure. And once you've possessed it, he gives him a very simple invitation. He says, young man, follow me. Follow me. But you've got to let go. 
Because while this is your everything, while this is your life, while this is your strength, you'll never. You've got to have a single eye. You've got to know that in all this darkness, there are tremendous rays of light up there. And if you concentrate on them, they'll break through the darkness and into your life. And you will hear from God. Why? Because he wants to talk to you. Hallelujah. A single eye. Follow me. No one else. Follow me. You see, to follow somebody else, that's easy. Because following someone else is just an imitation. Look at what the kids have done with Elvis Presley. They've eternalized him. There isn't a program that you don't turn out year after year, and especially around August 16th, where everybody's strumming. Everybody's got the little looks and, uh, you know, I don't know, hound dog baby. I don't know what he sings. I don't really know him. But this is it. If you look at people, it's a cinch. It's a cinch. I think the greatest mimic in the world today is my husband. My husband is a famous mimic. I mean, he just looks at you and he can imitate you. And if you're with him long enough, he'll give you a voice. Why? Because that's how easy it is. You want to be like Pastor Amy? It's a cinch. You got to eat a lot. Okay. Got to walk slow. Okay. Got to drop the tone in your voice because I've got sort of a gravel voice. Do you understand what I mean? It's easy. It's easy. That's why Jesus says, no, it's not these men. Follow me. It's not them. They're nice, but not them. It's not Peter. It's not James. It's not Matthew. It's not that crowd behind me. It's me. Follow me. To follow someone is easy. You just watch them. And we become tremendous imitators. I remember I went to a church once. And I was there quite a while. And everybody that took the pulpit looked just like the pastor. They spoke like the pastor. They talked like the pastor. They moved their arms like the pastor. They did everything. And I thought to myself, my goodness, it's like a clone factory. <laughs> really? Because sooner or later, now why? Because I want to be like him. I, wa I want to talk like him. I want to preach like him. And everybody gets up and, hello? Hello? You know, when you're there a long time and everybody gets up and you say, whoa, watch it. What does he mean by follow me? Follow God. It's a very special road. And it's mapped out clearly. It's mapped out in the Bible. That's why Christians don't live without their Bibles. If you can go a week without reading your Bible, don't consider yourself a Christian. Because you haven't heard from your boss. How can you say you go to work and you never see the boss? How can you say you belong when you don't even know who he is? It's the word. You've got to, sister, I have problems with the word. I don't understand it. Don't worry about not understanding it. Just worry about reading it. Because one of these days it'll break through. And you'll understand what you have never understood before. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is the author of the Bible? But you see, you've got to go into it with hunger. You've got to go into it with desire. You've got to go into it with a certain fire. And then the next thing is prayer. And folks, I've, I think I've taught you a little. And I want to keep teaching you. When you can't pray, write your prayers. When you can't write them, sing them. Do anything but pray. Pray. Because you know what the scripture says? 
the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You decide to pray and you're going to think of seven million things you haven't done. It's a natural. It's a natural. And then, of course, the last but not least, quiet times. Sister Amy, you always talk about quiet times. What on earth do you mean? I mean just that. I mean that. Sit somewhere and don't say a word. Just in here, in here. Just say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Can't hear the words, but the message is going up. And then as you're walking, maybe like Joe with his dog, you won't hear the echo of your own voice. You'll hear the sweet spirit of God come and say, I love you too. You see, he needs that quiet time from you. That's why this boy was so messed up. He was rich. He was wealthy. He bought his way through life. Just a teenager, just a, a, a young man, because that's what the scripture says. Probably between 20 and 30. The life of ease, a, a gorgeous house, a, a, probably a chariot off his own. He, he lived it perfect, and he was so careful that he went to church and spoke to the Pharisees and the scribes. Have I done things right? Oh, yes, young man. You paid for this, and you paid for that. And you paid for this and you bring your sacrifices uh, and you celebrate all the feasts with us. Oh, young man, you are a son of Abraham. You are a son of Jacob, of Isaac. Yet this, he's so empty that when he meets a man with a glow, when he meets a man with power, when he meets a man that emulates eternity, when he meets a man that emulates grace, and such something he doesn't know. Something he's never seen in the synagogue. Something he's never heard from a scribe. Something he's never tasted from a Pharisee. He said, sir, sir, what can, whoa, 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 what can I do to, to, to inherit? Tell me the price. I'm willing to pay it. And Jesus says, well, gives him the price of obedience. He says, I've already done that. Not really, says Jesus. But you're lacking one thing. You're okay on that side. Now go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why? Because you see, that was his lease on life. His power. His ability to do. His ability to be. His ability to choose. ability to travel, his ability to manipulate whatever he wanted to was in his money. Now Jesus says, get rid of it. But don't worry, you're not throwing it away. I'll put it in heaven in my bank and it'll be safe. No one will touch it. And when you get there, it'll have multiplied, oh, a hundredfold. That's why when, when the little boy goes sad, drops, he says, oh, no, no, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. I, I can't do that. I can't. I, 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 I can't. If, if I do that, I'm left with nothing. Have you ever invited a friend to know Jesus? Have you invited somebody to give their heart to the Lord? 
all they'll think about is whatever they're doing, how much they like to drink, how many women they have that are not their wives, what their money buys for them, their pleasure trips, their ability to gamble, and their ability to do so much. When they think, and all of a sudden they stay still and they say, hey, wait a minute. That's why in Spanish there are so many cute little ways to say this. Oye, mijo, te metiste a la religión. Hey, you got, you, got, you got caught in religion? Did they trap you? Because you see, the natural man will only hang on to those pleasures which are his. They're carnal. But he has no problems because he's got a religion. And the religion will take care of his guilt. And the religion will take care of his emotion. And the religion will offer him everything he could possibly want. The logic of the religion says once you've done these things, you're clean. Go ahead home. You can start again. Jesus now says to the young man, that's not the way it is, mijo. You want to make heaven? Because that's what we're talking about. Do you want to make heaven? He says, well, you've got to give it all up. Only because it's standing between you and God. And whatever stands between you and God, we've got to get rid of it. And then he says to him, you'll have it. That's why Peter gets so annoyed and says, I don't really understand, Master. Why you talk to that boy like that? Why do you say that the rich aren't going to make it? I mean, after all. And here's the Jewish philosophy on money. God blessed Abraham. God blessed Jacob. God blessed Isaac. And the scripture is full of how the cows were multiplied and how the calves were multiplied and how everything, uh, gold and silver and everything else. And is there ever a time that the Jew takes greater pleasure in? In the reign of Solomon, uh, the golden reign, when the temple was worth more than any Trump or any other person, uh, uh, the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers or anybody else could ever have. Now comes a man that says that's not important. When there's been a religion that says, no, that's the way God blesses you. Okay? Hey, we've got fires going. We've got battles going. Don't worry about your money. Just give Jesus your heart. Little by little, he'll tell you what to do and when to do it. He'll tell you how to do it. Don't worry about the little incidentals. Just remember that down here it's all dark and black. But there's a ray of light that comes through. And it's God saying, I want to penetrate. Just call on me and my ray will penetrate. Just call on me and I'll break the darkness and you'll meet me. You see, Jesus tells us and he says it loud and clear. And I share it with you. Following him has rewards both on earth and eternally. And I like that. You know something? You say, Sister Amy, how do you see it? I'm going to joke a little with you. Got five minutes for my jokes. When I look to the heavens and see the stars, I very selfishly say they're all mine. Oh, come on, that's sublimation. No, it's not. They're mine. When I watch the waves break on the rocks, the whole ocean is mine. When I go to Central Park as creepy as it's gotten in the last few years and frightening. I look through it and I say, it's all mine. 
well, Sister Amy, that's, uh, that's kind of sublimation. That's kind of, because it really isn't. If you go into Trump Towers, they won't let you in. To have an espresso, they will. I can get anywhere I want to go. Listen to me. Listen to me, folks. Hunger for nothing but God. And you will taste of everything that he's given us on earth. Say amen. Lord, we love you this day. We thank you for your presence. Oh, hallelujah. You said, Lord, to this young man, you're missing just one thing. Lord, I wonder what we're missing if we are missing something. Would you make it plain to every heart? Would you make it plain to every, every person here today? Is there something that separates them from you, Lord? Is there a vice? Is there a situation? Is there something they hide? Is there something they're fearful of? Is there something they share with no one? Oh, God, teach us the truth of surrender privately, honestly to you. And once we've given you everything, then you begin to make us the spiritual millionaires that we can be. Owners of the cattle on the thousand hills. Owners of every gold mine in the world. Why? Because you said you would not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly, from those that seek your presence. Why? Because you said if we follow you, we would not stumble in darkness, but we would have the light of life. Why? Because you said that if we believed, rivers of living water would flow through our being. Why? Because you said, Lord, that if we trusted you, you would not fail us. Because you never fail. You let it be written that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no variations there are no shadows in you. Thank you, Lord. Folks, I don't know what stands between you and God. I don't know how he would answer or talk to you. But would you do me a favor? Think about it. Think about it. And if there is something that stands between you and God, determine to let it go. You know why? Because Jesus loves you. He looked at the young man and he loved him. There isn't an action of God that isn't invested with love. That's what this whole week is about. A God that traded love for your putrid sins and mine. A God that traded his power for your weaknesses and mine. A God that came through when you couldn't come through so that now we can come through. Lord, crown our lives with total surrender. In Jesus' name I pray.